Good morning, everybody. How are we doing? <laughs> Let's try that again. Good morning. All right. That was so much better. It's like, how many times we got to go through this? <laughs> hey, I'm uh, Pastor Derek. If you don't know who I am, I want to welcome you to Connect Community Church. We're so glad you're here and this hot day, getting inside this nice AC room. Come on, somebody. Turn your neighbor and say, it feels good, right? It feels good. This is a good day for AC. Yes, Jesus. Anyway, uh, can you do me a favor? Can you join me and welcome all our online viewers? Can we do that? Just say hello. Thanks for being with us as well. Yeah, yeah. Church Alive. Church Alive. Amen. Well, we're in a series entitled David, Warrior King, and I uh, love, love uh, talking about this guy. He is one of my favorite heroes of the Bible. What I like about uh, this subject, what we're kind of focusing on, is the idea that greatness is in all of us. I remember many years ago, uh, a person spoke a word over me when I was a young man, and he basically said, there's a greatness grenade inside of you, Derek. At the time, I was an incredibly insecure uh, uh, young man. I, I, you know, I was just afraid of my own shadow, you know, and for somebody to see that I think speaking as the voice of, of God to encourage. And, and that's kind of what I want to do to you. I want you guys to know that there's a greatness grenade ready to blow up inside of each and every one of you in a good way and uh, explode inside each and every one of you. And so this series is dedicated to bring that greatness out. And we're looking at life lessons from David. And last week we introduced a message called The Process of Leadership. I was going to call it The In-Between. But there's something that happens in between when God calls you into when you actually step into the purpose of God in your life. So when we introduce to Christ, this connection is made, our eternal security is established. But then after that, God wants to do something in us that affects the here and now. Come on, somebody, you know what I'm saying? Like he wants to do something in and through us while we're here and make a difference and do something that matters. Um, but when we look at David's life, I think it's sometimes how we look at our own life. Uh, you know, we... We, we see the hu human highlight reel in the world today. We look on social media and we see everybody's best moments and we think, you know, well, I can't be like that. And we, and we do that with David. But David was a nobody who became a somebody. He was uh, a shepherd boy that had been forgotten, rejected, potentially dejected by his own father. He was the eighth son of Jesse. And when this, this, this incredible moment in their family, family legacy takes place where the prophet Samuel comes to their house, his own father doesn't even call him to the party. He's, he's out there doing his job as a shepherd, and his seven sons were the ones that were presented. And so uh, he, he had to feel like a nobody in that particular situation. Yet God saw something in David and called him uh, to to a great and amazing opportunity. And so this process of leadership is what we talked about. And inside last week, how many of you here for last week's message? Raise your hand if you were here. Okay, good. If you did not hear that, I say this all the time, but you know what? I love what I do, so I'm just going to keep doing that. But it, it will help you a lot, okay? It will help you a lot. And I really encourage you to get that. It kind of builds this whole, every series has a systemic element to it. We build pieces on pieces. The Bible talks about that, line upon line, precept on precept. So, um, but there was a point in the message that sometimes when I'm preaching, I'm speaking to you, but sometimes God is speaking to me at the same moment, and he was speaking to me, and it was a, a time where I felt like he's just like saying, hey, this is where I want you to camp some more. 
And, uh, and so I, I decided to change the direction of what I was going to do today and really kind of piggyback on last week's message. Uh, there was a moment when I was talking about the uh, principle of authority. And this particular subject is, it could be one of the most helpful messages some of you have heard, and I'm going to make a strong statement, in like a year. Okay, so are you ready for this? It's going to help a lot. Are you ready for this? Okay, so this is going to help a lot of people, okay? So I want to talk about what will not necessarily be popular but extremely helpful, the subject of submission to authority. And, and I'm titled this Undercover. There's a book called Undercover by a, a great friend and, and really a great pastor named uh, John Bevere. And, uh, but, you know, what does that mean? It's, it's kind of, I don't know if you've ever seen like a hen with his chicks, but I was, you know, the, the little chicks, they get underneath the wings of the hen. And that hen is extremely protective of its chicks. And sometimes you can see, you know, seven, eight, nine chicks underneath the hen. It's amazing. If you, you just go YouTube, it's pretty funny. I was, but at the same time, uh, it's pretty amazing. And God is like that. Authority is not supposed to be seen or meant to be restrictive, but protective. But because of the spirit that's in the world today, and if that's a weird word, I'll say attitude that's in the world today, an attitude of rebellion, an attitude of uh, uh, lawlessness, um, we, don't see, we don't see authority the right way. But yet it is incredibly important in every aspect of our life. In fact, if you're taking notes, write this down. And if you're under authority, you take notes and write this down. That's funny. You'll get it later. To have authority, you have to come under authority. To have authority, you have to come under authority. And that's going to make more and more sense as we go along. God doesn't ask us to do things without incentives within his principles. And um, he just that's just kind of God that he is. But with the reward, you first have to understand that the submission to authority, there's no exception to it. Nobody, nobody um, avoids this. You, King David, even Jesus. Now, one of the things we studied in uh, our God Man series in the beginning of the year, one of the most basic doctrines of the faith is that, is that Jesus was fully God and fully man at the same time. In fact, we learn in John chapter 1 that he was, he was God in the flesh, God incarnate. So God came to earth, dwelt among men as a man, right? Everybody understand this is kind of a... A critical doctrine of the Christian experience. What we don't sometimes do is flesh that out. Uh, it, it, we, we don't realize that Joseph wasn't Jesus' father. God was Jesus' father. But Mary, a human, was Jesus' mother. So a human and God co-parented Jesus. <laughs> I don't know if you think about that, okay? So they, they co-parent Jesus. They, they both had a role to play. And Jesus had to come under the authority of the father and the mother, and this, there's different ways that that manifests. In fact, one time when Jesus was a young teenage boy, 12, 13 years old, they were on their way to the, the holy city to uh, one of the annual feasts. And I think, in, well, I don't think I know, but in the Hebraic culture, this would be a big ordeal. Everybody would be like in a caravan and, and uh, parents and grandparents and uncles and aunts and cousins, and everybody's going to the holy city. That's just what you did. And on their... Once they get there, they celebrate, and then and, and sometimes you could lose track of your immediate family, apparently, uh, because everybody kind of played a role in the raising of children. So Jesus goes to church, and he's sitting there talking to all the, the, the leadership there and, and going back and forth, and, and he th innocently, that's what he thought he should be doing. And so 
What he didn't know is that his whole family went home. So the, so the caravan's going home. I don't know, a couple days later, uh, they realize questions. Are being, have, you seen, have you seen Jesus? No, I thought he was with cousin Joe. Have you seen Jesus? No, I thought he was with, you know, uh, sister so-and-so. No, no. And nobody can find him. Mary says, oh, my gosh, he's still back there. So she goes all the way back to the city. She goes to church. She sees Jesus in church, and she says, Jesus, what are you doing? And innocently, Jesus says, Mom, I'm about my father's business. And listen, listen, Mary says, oh, no, you're not. It's not about his business. It's about my business right now. You're going home with me. Mary says, listen, to God. Not now, later. Come home, come home. Mary, a human, tells Jesus, God, go home. And Jesus comes up under Mary's authority. And for the next 17 years, she did what Mary said. 30 years old, skip ahead. Jesus goes to a wedding in Cana, and, and they're all celebrating, and everybody's having a good time, and, and uh, Jesus is having a good time, and Mary comes to the realization, maybe she's just kind of like the, the, the support hostess, like sometimes, you know, people will be the hostess, but my wife, if she's there, she's sort of like the support hostess. She still cannot help but be a part of what's going on and make sure everything's going okay, and so I think Mary was like that, and Mary's like, she comes to Jesus, and she's like, Jesus, there's no more wine. She kind of gives him the signal. And I think there's like probably like a secret code with, between the two of them because Mary knew that Jesus was God, right? Mary probably saw some stuff. You know what I mean? Like when the different things happened, you know, she pondered those things in her heart. She knew she was God when he was a little baby. And then probably some stuff happened along the way. She'd go to the kitchen. Cabinets are empty. She's like, Jesus, I got to go to the grocery store. Long pause. Jesus says, Mom, look again. You know what I mean? You know, there must have been something like that because she, she, comes, she comes to Jesus, there's no more wine. And he uses kind of a Hebrew idiom. He says, woman, what do you have to do with me? Which we would just say, like, mom, what, what, do you, what do you want? What do you want me to do? It's not my time right now. And she says, oh, yes, it is. Make some wine. And so Jesus says, bring the, pot, bring the empty pots to me. And, and he makes wine, and the party goes on. So, so check this out. This is, this is what this means. When he was 13, he thought his ministry was supposed to begin, and, she, and, and an earthly mom said no. When he was 30, he didn't think his ministry was supposed to start, and his earthly mom said yes. Wow. He was under, God came under, delegated, imperfect human authority. Why am I saying that? Because as we go forward and we look at the life of David, there are no exceptions you, David, even Jesus, to the principles of authority. We all have to be undercover, submitted to authority. Are you with me? So now, I want to give you kind of four um, kind of kingdom keys to un undercover truths to submission to authority. And these are strong, but they'll help you a lot. Okay? So everybody say, I love how it hurts. Love how it hurts. Okay, so, number one, God is the originator of authority, and Satan is the originator of rebellion. Okay, so all authority stems from God, all rebellion stems from the archenemy of God, Satan. Romans 13, 1, I'm just going to read a couple of verses, not all of them, but you want to read Romans 1, 13. By the way, what I am telling you today, 
Literally, I'm just telling you, if you can just, if you can ask the Holy Spirit to just continue to open your ears, there are so many things that I can't even get into that I'm just asking the Holy Spirit to just like speak more, more, more. Listen, last service and the service before, many people were just literally transformed by the message, not by the message, not the messenger. And and but there were many people because they allowed an experience to surface into the forefront of their mind, the windshield of their mind. Uh, they get lost in a particular. They couldn't hear all the principles. Don't let a person keep you from the principle. Don't let an offense, don't let a past a situation or an extreme abuse keep you from the principles that I'm trying to share with you, okay? Everybody with me? Yeah. Heed, heed what I'm saying. Romans 13, it says, let everyone, everybody say everyone. everyone. That means me. Be subject to governing authorities, for there's no authority except that which God has established. All authority comes from God. Now I'm going to skip down and give you a particular. In verse 5 it says, So it's necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible consequence, or you could say punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. We want to have a clear conscience before God because we can't say we're under authority of God if we're not under authority that he's delegated. So he gives an example. This is also why you pay taxes. The authorities are God's servants. Okay, so in other words, the IRS is God's servant. Praise the Lord. Nobody likes to praise the Lord on that one, do they? <laughs> IRS, yeah, Jesus. No. Okay, I get it, but this is what they're saying. They give their full time to governing. Give to everyone what you owe them. Okay, no, so, if, so if there's an authority, you got to pay tax, pay taxes. If it's revenue, respect with revenue. If it's respect, respect, honor, honor. All authorities from God. In other words, there's no such thing as secular authority. There's civil, educational, domestic. According to this text, all authority comes from God. I know there's separations, but it all comes back to the top dog. Is everybody with me? But why is authority important? It's important fundamentally for your protection, for your protection. Without authority, our default would be self-destruct. We need authority or we would self-destruct. Since the fall of man, we have this bent towards self-rule. Or either a man trying to dominate, a woman trying to usurp. It all, it all started in the beginning at the fall of man. And so we've had failure after failure and fall after fall since then when it comes to authority. And at the same time that that failure took place, uh, the spirit of rebellion came into the world. And so we need authority to protect us, not to restrict us. So when, when, I, when I was younger, I used to bowl. I got pretty good. But I remember when we first started bowling, they would put these bumpers down the, the outside lanes. You know what I'm talking about? And when I was a young kid, the ball was almost as big as me. And I'd be throwing this ball like, wow, you know, and I'd practically go down half the thing. Why did they put those bumpers there? Because I would break somebody else's legs if they weren't. I'd hurt myself or I could hurt somebody else. Is everybody with me? Authority is like bumpers. Guardrails on a highway. If you didn't have guardrails on a highway, some people would get hurt. We'd go down the wrong lane. We'd, we, we wouldn't know where we're supposed to be. We have guardrails in finances. We have guardrails in relationships that God has established for us. And to the extent that we violate those things, we can hurt ourselves and others in the process. Amen? Amen. So as Christians, we have to reject rebellion and submit to authority. 2 Thessalonians talks about really one of the names of Satan... It's a strong word for, for some people when they come to church, but there's a, we believe in an arch enemy, enemy the devil. And, and one of his names is the lawless one. 
In other words, I'm without loss. Heisman to anybody trying to tell me what to do. A total rebel. All rebellion comes from God. I'm just going to highlight this word. 2 Thessalonians 2, 7, for the secret power of, the, of lawlessness is at work. Verse 8, it says, and then the lawless one will be revealed. This word's everywhere. Verse 9, the coming of the lawless one. Is, you know, so this lawless spirit, I'm just saying to you, is on the earth today. This antichrist-like spirit. There's a, there's a rebellious attitude. It is pervasive in America, everywhere, but in America. It's pervasive. And it's subtle sometimes in how it surfaces. Now, one, of the, one, of, one time I was on vacation with our family. We go, we go to New Hampshire every year. We're on vacation. This particular year, um, we, we're always, we love to go to the beach. We like to get down and get brown, as I say. And, and we, were, we were there on a two-week vacation. The first week, uh, it rained the whole time. I, I thought God had, had, was going to keep his promise and not flood the earth again. But this particular week, he, he decided to break his promise. No. But I remember just like it was raining. And when you go to the beach, you don't put a lot of money in the house because you, you're going to spend a lot of time on the beach, at least if you're beach people like us. So we had this little place with like a lot of people staying in our house. And so I, I remember just raining, raining, raining. So that's when like Netflix just started coming out. And so... I found this TV show, uh, otherwise known as Crack TV. Uh, you know what I mean? Like, it was the most addictive program. When I say it, you're going to know what I'm talking about. It was called, the, the show was called 24. Does anybody remember when 24 came out? I mean, that is crack television. And I remember my wife didn't know what I was doing, and, and, and I'm, I am just addicted to the show. I'm watching episode after episode after episode, 3.30 in the morning, sheet over my head, blue light. She's like, what are you doing? What are you doing? I pull the sheet back, and my eyes be like bloodshot red. She's like, what's the matter with you? And I'm like, I don't know. I can't stop. I can't stop. <laughs> it was bad. It was bad. But I was just in love with this, this character, Jack Bauer, Right? And it's just subtle, but, but Jack Bauer, if, 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 if government authorities said, do not go through that red door, what is Jack going to do? He's going to go through that red door, right? But not only is he going to go through that red door, he's going to go through that red door, defy authority, and save the world. This is the message of our day. Defy authority, save the world. There's bumper stickers that are out there today that say, question authority, question authority. Now, I'm not trying to say, as Christians, we should check our brains at the door and that God hasn't given us, you know, certain cognitive abilities to deduce and reduce things to their, you know, common denominator and figure out certain... I'm not, don't misinterpret or blow the baby out. Blow, uh, what's the word? Let, throw the baby out with the bathwater. I was going to say, blow the baby up in the bathtub. <laughs> It's the Jack Bauer influence. I'm sorry. It's like, ah, 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 ah. <laughs> see, it's a spirit. It's a spirit. <laughs> That's awesome. The point is, Jesus was submitted to authority. Authority is from God. Rebellion is from the devil. Amen. Number two, rebellion against God's direct or delegated human authority is a serious sin with serious consequences. Romans 13 tells us this. In the second verse, it says, whoever rebels or resists against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. So when we, re when we rebel against authority God established, delegated human authority, we are rebelling against God. And there's a consequence for that. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. So it, every sin has consequence. It's a sin to rebel against authority. My dad used to, it was, it was raised in the military, he was in the army, he was a tank commander, 
I feel like I was vicariously raised in the military because of the home that I was brought up in. Uh, when my father would wake us up in the morning, it was, it was, it was sort of torturous. Uh, it wasn't like my mother would come in, oh, honey, it's time to get up, you know, and soothing and soft. When my dad would come in, he would pretend to blow a trumpet because that's what happened when he was in officer's candidate school. And so he'd come in the room and go, I'm like a six-year-old, like, Dad, stop! He'd go over to the blinds. My mother would go over to the blinds and go, honey, I'm going to open the windows. Come on, open your eyes. My dad would go, pew! You know, so the sun would come on you, you know, like a bat in a cave, and we'd all fly everywhere. It was bad. Anyway, a sidebar. But my dad was under authority, so he'd always teach us authority, and he would tell us to do certain things. And when he did, uh, we sometimes had selective hearing as young people. And so we'd come back, and he'd say, son... Uh, delay, first of all, he say partial obedience is no obedience. I used to hate that statement. And then, and then if we did it later, like, did you take the trash out yet? Did you take the trash out yet? Like, it felt like just, it was on repeat, you know? Did you take the trash out yet? No, I'm gonna, 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 I'm gonna. You get the point? And he would say, son, delayed obedience is no obedience, right? So this, 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 we have this problem where we're selective and we, we do things. Well, Saul, uh, Saul was like that. Saul was a master at this. And you know what happened? Because of this lack of submission to authority, this lack of obedience, the blessing of God was removed from him as king. It says this. Uh, Samuel has come and he's, exp- he's going to explain to Saul why the blessing has been removed. And Saul has been given instructions by God on what to do. And Saul doesn't do it. He does it partially, and he's trying to convince Samuel, please bless me, and, you know, I did what you told me to do, and Samuel's like, uh-uh, no, you didn't. No, you didn't. And so Samuel says, does the Lord delight in burnt offerings as much as in obeying me? To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams. In other words, don't, don't play church. Don't, don't do some good thing. Don't drop some money in the bucket. Don't, don't uh, you know, worship. You know, put your Spotify on and worship all day long and then not obey me. You want the blessing of God on your life? Come under authority and follow my instructions. That's what he's saying here to Saul. He says this. Then he goes really strong. He says, for rebellion is like the sin of divination. Your Bible might say witchcraft. I read that and I was like, Did, what? Rebellion is like being a witch? That's strong, right? Have you ever thought about that? And, and he says, like, stubbornness is like idolatry. I'm like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. So when I don't do what you told me to do, that's like witchcraft. What's witchcraft, by the way? Witchcraft is when there is no deity we worship, we become the deity. We, we actually do everything we can to control and manipulate people to get what we want. Motions, lotions, and potions. That's what witchcraft is. Stuff, motions. To try to get what we want. That's what witchcraft is. Okay? And so, God, through Samuel, is saying to Saul, when you rebel, it's like witchcraft. You're trying to get what you want. You're exalting your opinion above what I've told you to do. That's what stubbornness is. Stubbornness is fundamentally... Uh, like a contentious spirit is just saying, I won't, I won't. I'm going to do what I'm going to do. I'm not going to do what you want me to do. Stubbornness is what's idolatry. Idolatry is when you put something above God. Stubbornness is like worship of a false God. That's what it's saying here. So when we, in fact, stubbornness 
is, it says like iniquity. Iniquity is different than sin. Sin is a one-time offense. It's a missed shot. It's a mulligan. So it, it, so iniquity is ongoing pattern bondage. You just keep on doing it. Willful sin. So when you are stubborn, you are willfully exalting your opinion above God's. God's saying that's not submission to authority. And that's why I'm removing my blessing from you, Saul. Saul, that's how you're behaving. Your rebellion is like witchcraft. Your stubbornness is like idolatry. It's iniquitous. Is everybody tracking with me? It's strong, isn't it? That contentious spirit is bad. In fact, Proverbs says, Solomon spoke and said, it's better to live in the corner of a roof than with a contentious woman. Now, contentiousness is not exclusive to one gender or the other. Men can be contentious too, but you got to give Solomon a little break here. He had 1,000 wives. Some of you will catch up with that. That's funny. Okay. So here, number three, understanding, number three, undercover truth, understanding and accepting the principle of submission to authority accelerates spiritual revelation and maturity. Understanding it, yep, plus accepting it, here's what happens. So when, there are these interpretive keys to the Bible that will change your life. Like some, sometimes, I'll give you an example of an interpretive key that I've said to you many times. Your view of God will determine your relationship with him. That would be an example of an interpretive key. Another interpretive key of the Bible would be how you view love. God, he doesn't have love, he is love. So we understand his essence, his nature is love. It changes everything that you see in the word of God after that. Does it make sense? Another huge interpretive key of the Bible is submission to authority. If you could see authority right, it would literally change your life. Literally change your life. Look at this. This is so cool. This is a, a man of authority in the Bible who understood a greater person of authority. It says, when Jesus, Matthew 8, 5, when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion, okay, a leader of people, came to him asking help, asking for help. He said, Lord, my servant lies at home paralyzed and suffers terribly. Jesus said, shall I go to him and heal him? The centurion says, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word. Everybody say, just say the word. And my servant will be healed. For I myself, look at this undercover principle. You can't have it unless you're under it. I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. Everybody see the natural principle? The natural principle is the same as the spiritual principle. This, this centurion is saying, I have people under me, and I'm under someone else. Okay? So if it works in the natural, it actually started in the supernatural. So he's basically saying, you don't have to go there. You just have to speak a word because just like I can, and he goes on to say, just like I can speak a word and say, come and do and go and go, and I don't actually have to go there. I can just say it. They do it. The same thing that I see in the natural, I know in the supernatural because you are a person of authority, and I can say to a human or a natural being, do this. You can say to angels, and at your dispatch, they'll go, and they'll bring healing to, to this person that's suffering. You understanding that? Because he knew what authority was. And Jesus says to him, I haven't seen this kind of understanding about authority from anybody in Israel. Not even my own people that I've come for. He's basically saying this is huge. Maturity and revelation come from understanding and accepting authority. This is all over the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. Number four, submission to authority brings supernatural favor, blessing, and protection from God. It brings blessing, protection, favor. Here's the incentive. You come under authority. This is, for some of you, this is, this is going to mature you quickly if you'll accept it. Some of you, you, you'll eventually get this. It's part of your journey, your spiritual journey. But if you could understand, if you could separate from the abuses and the excesses of the world and not, again, 
blow up the baby in the bathtub. You got, you guys, you guys, you got the right one there. Then, then you can actually come into a place of favor and blessing in your life so much faster than some people, if you could. Ephesians chapter 6, this is one of the best examples of this principle of blessing and protection and stuff, is in the family environment. Verse 1, it says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Almost out, we, we shouldn't even go on yet and just accept that. Children need to follow their parents, right? I'm going to talk about it. We're going to reason together. No, Johnny, you're bigger and you're smarter for a reason. You know, I'm not saying that they're not wonderful and their little intellects are growing. And, but let's just face it, you know, they got these little sinful natures and they need to learn and be taught and to be trained and, and not just explained. Training is different than explaining. Talk to my daddy about that. He'll tell you about that. He's got this little principle he'll rattle off. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first, wow, the first commandment with a promise, so that may go well with you and live long, live long and enjoy life on the earth. I don't know about you, but I'd like to live a long life and live well, you know? And so this is telling me there is an inherent benefit to honoring authority. Now, I've been out of my house 25 years, you know? My parents don't put me in a car seat anymore. That would be pretty hard for my mama to put me in a car seat. I can put my mama in a car seat if I needed to, okay? But I, just because she's not bigger than me and stronger than me anymore doesn't mean I don't still honor my mom or honor my dad. Does that make sense? I'm out of their house. I still ultimately have to make the final say and the final call for my immediate family and for my marriage. But their words still have weight. If they don't, I'm not honoring that authority. Sometimes I disagree with what they would say. They're in the house. That's why I'm... Emphasizing this. Sometimes they, I disagree with what they say, but I still need to feel that. I still need to honor their position, not always their decision. I need to honor their position and their influence, but not just always their behavior. We may do things differently than them. In some cases, we've done things exactly, and sometimes we've done things differently. But if I honor them, it's that submission to that, that honor of that, it's, a promise comes with that. Blessing and favor and protection come with that. Amen? And some people, you don't see this in the home anymore. I think all authority stems from the home. This is the lab where we work it out. So if you see people out there that are acting rebellious, acting crazy, acting like, you know, completely defiant and all that, it's because they, 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 it's probably started in the home. It started in the home. Resisting coaches, resisting teachers, resisting civil authorities in their life. You know, I, because of the way I was raised in my home, I was thinking about this the other day when I was preparing this message. Because of the way I was raised in my home, even though I'm a grown man, okay, I'm 40-something years old, okay, closer to the other side of that now. But even though I'm a grown man, you know, if I'm, if I'm like, you know, going through a neighborhood and all of a sudden I realize I'm going too fast, I look in my rearview mirror and there's a police officer in the back, like, my heart still going, you know what I mean? I mean? The guy could be like 25 years younger than me, but I'm still like, oh my gosh, because it's authority. I had this inherent reverence for the position. Is everybody with me? And, and, and my kids have that, too, because they, they've seen that, you know, when the cops are chasing me. No, I'm just kidding. I mean, I just. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. So we, we, we need to get this right in our spiritual family, not just in our immediate family. See, the world's going to look at the church and see how are they interrelated? How do they, how do they, is, is there, are there principles of authority practiced within the local church? And that's going to be a light to the world, salt and light to the world. We shouldn't look like the rest of the world. 
Okay, so David's our example. Let me give you four tests that he passed because he did, he did some things wrong. He was a man after God's own heart. He was this tender war. He did incredible things, uh, he, but he made some mistakes too. But in this particular era of submission to authority, if there's a reason he was blessed, it's because he passed these tests. Here's the first test. Remember, he was under a delegated authority, imperfect human authority, and Saul. The first test is the arrogance test. Everybody say arrogance. Now, this example in 1 Samuel 17, of course, the story of David and Goliath, we already know that David last week, we learned, was told by his father, I want you to go bring some bread and cheese, pizza, so I called it pizza delivery, and he goes and brings pieces to his brothers at the back lines, and while he's there, he was able to get to the front lines, and he sees a giant opportunity in the form of a giant Goliath, and while he's there, this, the, the anointing on him that was on him uh, it rises up. Not only will be quickened by sometimes need or opportunity or challenge. And so he's like, who's this Philistine? You know, I mean, he's like bowing up. He, he's just, you know, who knows how big he was. He was a young man. And he's just, he's like, I'll take this guy. I'll take this guy. I'll take this guy. So they're all like, what, what is, who's, everybody's shaking their boots with the giant who's coming out every single day uh, down in the valley. And yet this young kid shows up. He's like, I'll take him on. So it's a, it causes a ruckus. Somehow he gets I think maybe for entertainment, they're like, oh, let's go bring him to Saul, see what Saul does with this nut job. And so they get David in before Saul, and they have a conversation. And David's still just as confident as ever. And David says to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Nobody's saying that, just so you know, from a context. You read the story, it's amazing. Saul replies, you are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You are only a young man, and he's been a warrior from his youth. You want to go fight him? No, you can't. So this is the part that we sometimes miss. This is the part of the arrogance test. David says to Saul, you want to circle and underline these first two words, your servant, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. And then he goes on to tell an incredible story and testimonies of what he's done before. And man, we, I could put music on and I could preach the paint off the walls and the place would get crazy because David and your blood would boil when David started. And I took on the lion and the bear. And the same thing I did to him, I'm going to do to this Philistine. It all starts with David humbling himself before the delegated authority and saying, I understand that. But he makes a righteous appeal to his authority in submission and humility to Saul. And because of his submission and humility, Saul says, okay, okay. He relents. He relents. Now, personally, I believe that David believed without Saul's blessing, he would not kill the giant. The giant would have killed him. I think he was so submitted to the principles of authority that he knew, if I don't have the blessing of Saul, there's no giant that's going to drop. In fact, it's going to drop me. What if we had, do you have that? Do I have that as Christ, a Christ follower? I realize I'm going to go out and do something. I'm going to walk out on a plank, and I'm going to be bold, and I'm going to be courageous, and we mask our confidence with arrogance. And we get out on the plank, and it doesn't go like we thought it was going to go, and then we blame God. And God says, you never submitted that to me. You never submitted that to the authority that I put in your life because this, the authority of God is always comes in the form of human flesh and blood and delegated authority, private uh, whatever you get from God is usually subordinated or surrendered or submitted to delegated authority. That's how God works. And we get mad sometimes when it doesn't go the way we thought it was going to go. But David could have been in that situation, as I might have been. I don't know about you. Insert yourself into the story. And he's like, I'll take this Philistine out. And he asks Saul, and Saul says, no. David could have said, excuse me? Do you, excuse me, Saul? Do you see the oil on the head right here? 
Last night, Samuel was at my house. He wasn't at your house. In fact, last I heard, he's removed his blessing from you, and he's put it on yo. I'm the call to the Lord. I'm the anointed of the Lord. I'm going to be king. You're not going to be king. In fact, don't scratch the crown, homie. I ain't going to do what you say. I'm going to take this giant out, and I don't need your position. I don't need your permission because I'm going to be king. See, that could have been what he did. This arrogance test, but he passed it in full submission to authority. Are you with me? If, if authority exists, it exists for no other reason than to keep us humble. Listen, I don't know about you, but as a man sometimes, if, if, if my wife won't praise me, I'll praise myself. Sometimes, I'm telling you, I think I go to the gym just so we can all brag to each other. We go to, we, my wife doesn't like it when I post videos and things like that, but I'll go, I'll go to the gym and take a video, and some of my friends will take a video, and we'll like share videos with each other. We're like, hey, we can't, we can't brag to each other. Who can we brag with? It's like a, it's like a gym code. <laughs> but maybe, maybe there's just something in us that has to be kind of checked a little bit, and that's sometimes what my wife is doing with me. And I'm like, honey, look what I did. She's like, whatever. And so <laughs> that's awesome. Pick up the trash cans. Bring them in, you big, strong boy. Let's see what happens now. Yeah, and bring the, you know, picnic table off the ground, too. Let's see how you do that, handsome. All right. <laughs> David was humble. Next test, number two, the abuse test. The abuse test. Saul tried to kill David on several occasions, as some of you guys know. And, 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 and in fact, when your boss starts throwing spears at you, just, just so you understand, I'm not trying to get you to suffer that way. Like, get your resume out. Okay? You don't have to stay in that. We'll talk about that in a second. But 1 Samuel 19, 9, uh, it says, An evil spirit came upon Saul and he was, while he was sitting in his house with a spear in his hand. While David was there, part-time worship leader, with his tailored guitar and his skinny jeans and his V-neck long shirt that drapes down to his knees and his long necklace with a key at the end of it and his cool hat and his glasses that are not prescribed, but we still wear them anyway, so we look cool. Come on, David, in the back. We, we have a model at the back if you need to see what that looks like. David's there, part-time worship leader with Saul, just trying to do his job, and Saul Tries to kill him. Saul tried to pin him to the wall with a spear. Look what happened, though. David, but David eluded him. As Saul drove the spear into the wall, that night David made a good escape, good his escape. Now, was this abuse? Yes. Absolutely, this was abuse. What, what do you do with that? Before we discuss what we do, let's discuss what we don't do. This is what we miss sometimes. So some people, you are in situations where you don't know the authority I have in my life. You don't know what I'm going through. Okay, this, I think this is pretty tough stuff. But let, let's, let's just make sure we understand a few things. Because I think as Christians, we have these extremes. We either just rebel against all authority, and we don't know why things aren't going so well for us, or we're over here and we're like doormats, just suffering sometimes everything from physical, emotional, spiritual abuse. I see that in the church. It's a shame. In fact, uh, somebody in this room, I actually years ago counseled him out of that. I mean, you're under spiritual abuse. This, these, this, church, doesn't, this church doesn't care about you, and I don't care if you come here ever again. But you, 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 they're just taking advantage of you. And your marriage is going to suffer. You're never going to fulfill the call of God in your life until you get rooted, until you get in a healthy environment, until you come undercover. And that's what he did. And he's doing well now. Praise the Lord. But here's what, here's what David didn't do. He didn't, he didn't retaliate. He didn't throw a spear back. I don't know about you, but when somebody throws a spear at me, I'm thinking I'd like to throw a spear right back at him. Right? But he didn't. He didn't retaliate. He didn't revile again. He didn't exchange evil for evil. He didn't try to kill uh, Saul. He could have. He was a superior warrior. See the humility, by the way? This is a person who killed a bear and a lion with his bare hands. I don't think, 
I think he probably saw the spirit come and had a little bit of a matrix moment. Like, he was, it was easy for him to get away from that. That just came to me. It was awesome. And uh, second thing he didn't do, <laughs> I got to have fun myself. Second thing he didn't do is he didn't stay, he didn't stay and let Saul abuse him. Right? He didn't stay in it. So, so sometimes we misunderstand this. And, and you got to understand, all authority is imperfect, but God expects us to submit to delegated authority. I hate that point, just like you. But it's part of the process of leadership in our lives. In 1 Peter, Peter, excuse me, chapter 2, I'm going to read the last verse, but you should read that whole thing about submission to authority. But in verse 19, it says, For it's commendable, I wish I could unpack that word, if someone bears up under the pain of unjust, everybody circle this word, suffering, because they are conscious of God. It makes you dependent on God to come up under, it's commendable, come up under unjust suffering. Now, suffering means there is, uh, there's just some discomfort. There's a difference between, um, uh, like there's a distinction sometimes between, uh, you know, abuse and, and suffering. There's a difference between uh, discomfort and damage. Everybody with me? Everybody still awake with me? All right. There's a difference. So suffering we, we need to be able to come up under, it's commendable to come up under some, what's suffering look like? Well, my boss never praises me. I haven't had, you know, any recognition. You know, he's never said anything nice. What is that? Is that abuse? Well, to me it is. Okay. Now, now, maybe there's some discomfort, but we can't say that's damage. Some of us are so quick to remove ourselves from discomfort, remove ourselves um, um, from suffering, but yet sometimes that's doing something good in you. It's a process of leadership. Maybe it's there to keep you humble. Maybe it's there to keep a certain part of your character in check. God can use delegated authority, even in its imperfect state, to bring about the changes of God that perfect you in your life and state. Is everybody with me? And so this doesn't mean, again, abuse. Classic areas of abuse, we can't talk about them all. Child abuse, uh, spousal abuse. Listen, spousal abuse, even, even if somebody threatens you, like, first of all, it's illegal. So you don't have to come up under that. You don't have to tolerate abuse. Don't. In fact, the first time it happens to you, you're a victim. The second time it happens to you, you're a volunteer. So, so nobody's asking you to live in an abusive environment. Is it a damaging, abusive environment? It could be physical, emotional, spiritual, uh, um, sexual, all those things. That's not what I'm talking about, everybody. I'm just saying some stuff is just temporary suffering. Some stuff is just discomfort, not damaging abuse. If you're in that kind of situation in marriage, maybe I'm speaking to somebody in this room, it often is the case, because statistically or otherwise, hey, listen, you, you, need to have a, you need to have a strong, assertive conversation. You might need to say to this person, listen, I will not tolerate that. You, if you threaten me with that, uh, then, then I'm, I'm going out or you're going out of this house. Oftentimes, I say, you get out of the house if you're the one that's doing that. And again, this can be either gender, either side, because it, it statistically can happen on both sides. But you might need to say to that person, listen, as, as, a, as precious in the sight of God, I am not going to allow you to speak to me, behave that way. You need to, we're going to have a uh, constructive we're going to get to a safe place of separation, have a constructive separation, and you will not receive the benefits of marriage until you get help, come under accountability for a period of time. I love you. I don't want to get divorced. But until you've done that, we are not going to come back together again. 
There's sometimes where it's not separation to get divorced or the world's option, which is we're having a problem, just go ahead and get divorced. No, there has to be a constructive separation with the purpose of getting healthy and whole and then coming back into the relationship and seeing it restored. We do not have to deal with the reality or the threat of abuse in our lives. Can I have an amen? And so David in his situation didn't stay in that. He slipped away. He doesn't stay and enable it either. We shouldn't either. Number three, the advantage test. Everybody say advantage. Okay, this is a huge point, all right? Um, we all have advantages over our delegated authority. We all have, you have authority in your life, whether you're submitted to or not, whoever those authorities are, you will always have certain advantages over them. You might be uh, more popular, more influential. You might be better looking. You might be smarter, more intelligent. You might have more gifts and capabilities. We all have advantages over our authority. What do we do with those advantages? There's a test involved with that. David, again, was being pursued by Saul, and thousands of people Saul recruited to go kill David. And while David's on the run, he goes into a cave. It's called the Cave of Adullam. While he's in there, Saul's pursuing him, but does not know that David's in the same cave that Saul goes into, listen to this, to cop a squat. That's modern translation for, uh, you know, use the, use the facilities. And um, the Bible actually says he was pursuing. just means he was using the bathroom. So how many know Saul was in a vulnerable position inside the cave? David sees Saul, his, his pursuer, who's trying to kill him. Most people would interpret that and say, look, God has delivered him into our hands. And so, but David, no, David doesn't do that. David comes up underneath Saul. I'm sure he was careful about that. And, and he clips a little bit of his cloak off and pulls it away. And Saul leaves the cave David waits, comes outside the cave and says, God, he says, uh, he says, King Saul, King Saul, it's, it's your servant, David. See, you're, you're, you're listening to everybody tell you I'm trying to kill you. But this is proof positive that I'm not trying to kill you. That I, I see you as God's anointed. And this is what it says in verse 16. When David finished saying this, Saul asked, is that your voice, my son? And he wept aloud. You are more righteous than I. You have treated me well and I have treated you badly. How do you treat people that are pursuing you? that are trying to ruin you. This is a test to us getting to the blessing and favor of God in our life. You have just now told me about the good you did to me. The Lord delivered me into your hands, but you did not kill me. When a man finds his enemy, does he let him get away unharmed? May the Lord reward you. And by the way, he did. May the Lord reward you well for the way you treated me today. I know that you will surely be king and the kingdom of Israel will be established in your hands. This was a clear advantage, was it not? Look what David did. Look what David did. What would you do in that situation? There's another time where he's with one of his mighty men, Abishai. Oh, this guy is no joke. Trust me, some of the things that he did. And, and they go into Saul's camp, and all of Saul's camp is asleep, including Saul. And they're walking around. They must have been pretty out of it. And David comes up along Saul again and gets a piece of Saul's cloak. And, and, and his warrior uh, one of his mighty men says, hey, he's right there. Let me take him out. I promise you, I won't have to hit him twice, just once, and he'll be gone. And David speaks to him and says, no, 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 no. Don't destroy him. Who can lay a hand on God's or on the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? The Lord forbid that I should lay a hand on the Lord's anointed. See, David had in his spirit, in his, in his uh, walk with God, a deep understanding and accepting and submission to authority. You always will have advantages over your authority, but God didn't give you that advantage so that you could usurp the authority, 
so that you could mock the authority, that you could speak against the authority, that you could do your own thing above the authority. He gave you that advantage so that you could serve and honor the authority. And when, listen, listen, and when you do that, God is watching you and he sees how you handle that and he will honor you and promote you in due time. And I promise you it'll be better than you ever could have imagined if you do it his way. If you're waiting to be discovered, you should instead be waiting to be developed because he's doing something in you in that submission to authority. And when the time is right, you will be pr promoted. You will be appointed a king and a priest that he's created for you to be. Amen? My last point, the association test. Everybody say last point. Say, Pastor, it's been so good. Thank you so much. Wow, you guys are so sincere. Praise the Lord. So, so this last point, Saul eventually dies. In fact, the story's told that he falls upon a sword and kills himself. But here's, here's so crazy. But this guy that was there when this happened eventually leaves and he goes to find David and his men and he comes up to David and his men and he says, I killed Saul. Here's his crown as proof and here's his bracelets. I killed Saul. And when he says that, David says, say again, what'd you say? He says, yeah, I killed Saul. David says, what? Look, look at this. Look at this verse. 2 Samuel 1.13, David says to the young man, who brought, who brought the report? Where are you from, dude? That's my paraphrase. He says, I'm the son of a foreigner, an Amalekite. David asked him, why weren't you afraid to lift your hand to destroy the Lord's anointed? This guy's coming, he's thinking, I'm going to get in with his posse. I want to be on David's team. I want to be on the starting lineup. I know how to do it. I'm going to tell, because nobody was there. I was there. I'm going to tell him I killed his arch enemy. And here's his stuff. And I'm going to give you this stuff. I'm going to hand you over the stuff. And here you go. And David says, what would you do? He says, I killed him. He says, you killed God's anointed? Look at this. He took, David took to one, turns to one of his men who's under his authority. He says, go strike him down. So the guy struck him down and he died. Game over for that dude. He's not playing on David's team apparently, right? So he goes to this guy. He says, for David said to him, your blood be on your head. Your own mouth testified against you when you said, I killed the Lord's anointed. See, some people are rebelling vicariously by their associations. So you say, I'm not an open rebel. I don't do that. I wouldn't do this and I wouldn't do that. Yeah, but who you hang out with? That's going to affect you and your relationships with other people, your associations. You might be rebelling by association. You might be rebelling uh, vicariously. 1 Corinthians 15, says, do not be misled. Bad company corrupts what? Good character. In other words, parents, you can raise wonderful children until they're uh, 13, 14 years old, and then you put them in the wrong environment, or you let them hang around with the wrong kids, and you can ruin them. It doesn't just happen with children. It can happen with adults. See, we could just be like, we're just going to do life, and we're not going to be intentional about our relationships. We're just going to, you know, whatever happens, case sera, sera. Oh, what do you want to do this week? I'll do this this week. What do you want to do tonight? I don't do this tonight. That's why we're so passionate about getting people into connect groups, because we're trying to provide for you an environment for intentional relationships, for you to be able to benefit from this a law of association that who you do life with will affect the course and trajectory of your life. You can either hang, you can hang around with the wrong crowd and it can lead you to rebellious, lawless behavior, or you can intentionally hang around the right crowd, like-minded, and get to the right places in God. It's our choice. We need to make that investment in the process. Are you with me? Today's your opportunity to be able to do that. But David, he basically knew he was going to be king, and he says, I'm going to be king, so I'm not going to associate with a king killer. Kings don't associate with king killers. 
or people who think they are. You're a king and a priest, the Bible says. You're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a special race to show forth the praises of him who called you out of that lawlessness, lawlessness and out of that rebellion into his marvelous light. And so kings and priests don't hang around king killers. We need to be very strategic about our relationships. Listen, I have, I have many imperfect friends, and I am an imperfect friend, but I have no rebellious friends in my life. Amen. I don't. I don't have any close friends who are rebellious. I advise you strongly as your pastor to come undercover and be very strategic about your relationships. Since the day you were born, whether you see this or not, you have been profoundly affected by the principle of authority, whether you know it or not. And if you will submit to it and come undercover, you will know blessing. Amen? Close your eyes. I want to pray for you. Father God, this has been a strong word for some. And I pray that the the layers of like an onion be peeled back so we can get to the tender changes of the heart that need to take place. Just get through the callous of our lives where there's so many years of just doing it our way. Uh, penetrate the stubbornness and the, and, and the obstinance and penetrate even the rebellion that exists in us. Even as Christ followers, we don't willfully maybe do it, but un unknowingly do it, Father. We want to submit to God and submit to godly authority. Help us to see the authority in our life better. Help us to become a part of the solution, not a part of the problem. Help us to see that authority is not cramping our style, but authority is covering us and protecting us. And authority is keeping us humble and safe. Authority is keeping us favored. Thank you, Jesus. Maybe there's a person here in this room who's never, is a first step of coming undercover, transfer trust from you controlling and uh, kind of being the, uh, the person at the wheel of your life driving your life and driving your decisions and trying to save yourself and trying to secure yourself with maybe your efforts. Maybe you're at a place that realizes that only Jesus can do that for you. You transfer trust from you and your works to Jesus and what he did for you on the cross, a finished work. That's really what salvation is. Salvation is, is just submitting to God that I can't save myself, only he can save me. And I need to be saved. Nobody's saved unless they realize they need to be saved. Nobody's rescued, doesn't realize they need to be rescued. Nobody's going to be able to be uh, brought to shore until they realize they're drowning. If you're here today and you're in that situation and you realize, I need to transfer trust to Jesus, that's why you're here. It's not an accident that you're here. Maybe you're even listening online and you know that's you. If that's you, I want to give you that opportunity. And as a sign that you're saying yes to God, I'm transferring my trust. I want to come under the cover of Jesus Christ as my Savior and my Lord. I raise my hand. Would you just raise your hand and say, that's me. I don't want to miss that. God bless. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. And if you're here today and you know that you've struggled with the subject of authority, understanding it, but also accepting authority. And God's speaking, the Holy Spirit's speaking in your heart about understanding, but also accepting authority in your life. If you know that's you, would you raise your hand? Say, God's dealing with me. The Holy Spirit's speaking to me about that subject. Good, good. All over the room. That's awesome. 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 Praise the Lord. You can put your hand down. I just want you to say this prayer with me. Would you, if you say it from your heart? Confess it with your mouth. Say, Jesus, I surrender you today as Savior, but also as Lord. I give you the wheel of my life today. And I don't just submit to you as God, but I submit to all authority that you put into my life. And I know it's imperfect, but I know you work through imperfect authority. Help me as you helped David to pass these different tests in my life so that I can see 
the protection, the favor, the safety, and blessing of God in my life from now on. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen and amen. Come on, let's give the Lord a big hand clap for his word. God bless you. Thank you so much. Come on, Rod.